Colossians chapter 2. Our passage this evening is found in verses 5 through 8 in Philippians chapter 2. A middle of a rather well-known passage that uh, people sometimes call the Carmen Christie's The Song of Christ, uh, depicting the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ in kind of a parabolic shape, going all the way down to his death and then being lifted and exalted on high. And we'll look at the first half of that uh, section, uh, verses 5 through 8 this evening. As we have seen, the Apostle Paul has exhorted the church to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, to really live in this world as citizens of another kingdom. And he stressed that we do so by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being of one soul, striving side by side for the truth and in the truth, to walk in unity as God's people. And in order to do that, Paul had said that we must humble ourselves, counting others as more significant, and in the truth, willing to humble ourselves for the betterment of our other brothers. Well, our well-known passage that we come to this evening points to the supreme example and demonstration of self-humbling and self-abasement, what Jesus Christ has done. So let's hear God's word this evening, uh, verses uh, 5 through 8 in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thus far, this reading in God's word, let's look to our God and seek his help and blessing once again. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to you as needy children, uh, looking to the lavish and generous hands of our Heavenly Father and seeking to be filled with the bounty of your house this evening through the preaching of your word. We pray that you would give glory and honor to your beloved Son in the preaching of the gospel, and also that glory may be seen in the transformation and sanctification of your people as we are conformed and pressed more and more into the image of your beloved Son. So use your word to produce that in us, which is pleasing in your sight, and give power to your word, we pray, and grant us faith to believe and uh, obedience to live out uh, and be doers of your word. So uh, grant this desire, we pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we have what the Apostle Paul calls elsewhere in First Timothy chapter 3, the mystery of godliness, a saving truth expressed in these verses, what Jesus has done concerning the humiliation and exaltation of our mediator is in a sense what truly leads God's people to true godliness. And verses 5 through 8 describe that incredible descent of the eternal Son of God from his heavenly glory to the accursed death on the cross all by way of voluntary condescension. It is he who willingly laid down his life and undertook this humiliation. He voluntarily uh, did all this for our sake. Commenting on this section, uh, John Murray, uh, mentioned second time today, um, 
makes these observations, I simply read them to you, that these are the lowest depths of humiliation conceivable. God himself could not conceive or devise a humiliation surpassing the shame of Calvary. Let's pause for a second and try to catch that astonishing observation. John Murray is pointing out to us that it is not possible even for God to conceive of a greater abasement than that which Jesus voluntarily carried out in the gospel. Because he who humbled himself here was in the form of God and on equality with God, that bespeaks his highest dignity, and he humbled himself all the way to the accursed death on the cross, and there were no lower depths possible because the cross bespeaks the whole curse of God upon sin. This is the lowest depth that there can ever be. And this was self-humiliation, unparalleled, peerless. This is a unique act, incomparable, inimitable, unrepeatable, and unrepeated. And yet, Paul says something of the same mindset behind this self-abasement of our Savior uh, is to be found in the lives of God's people. This is what the Apostle Paul exhorts the church to put on and to practice have this mind among yourselves, he says in verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus. And to understand this mind and something of the magnitude of Jesus' self-humbling in service, following the headings from John Murray's exposition, I want to uh, simply look at two things this evening with you. First, I want to consider the dignity possessed, the dignity that Jesus possessed from all of eternity natively, and then secondly, I want to go on to see the humility undertaken. So simply two things, dignity possessed and the humility of humiliation undertaken. With respect to the first, we're given two aspects of Christ's dignity in verse 6. You'll notice that in that verse, how Paul uses two phrases, how Jesus was in the form of God as to his being, and how he was equal with God as, as to his station. Uh, Being in the form of God uh, points to the fact of uh, Jesus' divine essence, that he was the very God of very God. He possessed the fullness of deity from all of eternity, as we read in John's Gospel. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Natively, essentially, originally, Jesus was God in full possession of all that is distinctive about God in his majesty and glory. This is the dignity of unabridged deity that Paul is speaking of when he says he was in the form of God. But then also he goes on to say he was also equal with God as to his station. From all of eternity, Jesus shared glory with God as an equal. And this equality is not an accession either by robbery or attainment, It's not something he had to gain or was to gain. This was simply the consequence of his being and continuing to be in the form of God natively, essentially, immutably, true God, fully God, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. That's who Jesus is in his essence and his glory. There is this highest dignity possessed by Jesus as God eternal. And yet look what Jesus did for you. The humiliation undertaken, secondly, 
the astonishing self-humbling that is punctuated by the two voluntary descending points of his birth and his death, of his born, being born, and his dying on the tree, his incarnation and his crucifixion by which he abased himself are uh, spelled out in the ensuing verses. And look at the verb, some, some of the verbs that Paul uses to describe what Jesus undertook. Verse 7, Paul says, Christ emptied himself, emptied himself of all the outward glory of his divine dignity. He emptied himself of all that can be seen of the glory of God, stripped him himself of all that is to be attributed to God uh, outwardly by taking the form of a servant. By his taking the human flesh, he veiled his divine glory and his divine prerogatives, and he emptied himself of all that natively belonged to him. He will be a servant. That's the main idea. He emptied himself so that he can be a servant. And he will be a servant supremely to his own father. And if you read through the Bible, it is in fact, as we also just read from Isaiah chapter 41, as a servant of the Lord that uh, he is presented to us in the book of Isaiah, especially in Isaiah 52 and 53, where God says, Behold, my servant, a suffering servant, who will be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And Jesus, taking upon the title to himself, and said time after time, I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. My food is indeed of, uh, to do the will of him who sent me. So he became a servant, and the service that he would go on to render is laying down his own life in order to accomplish salvation for all his elect. Now, so to that end, verse 8 says, He was born being found in human form, he then humbled himself. He came into the world to be a sin offering and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient as a man, as an obedient man all the way up to death, even death on a cross. I just think of all that is involved in that continuing spiraling descent for Jesus. If Jesus had come into a pristine world, unspoiled world, into the Garden of Eden as a man, that itself would have been an astonishing act of humiliation on account of the infinite distance between the creator and the creature. But it is not into a garden, but into a sinful human world that Jesus came. He came into an evil world. He took on our human flesh and experienced all its weakness and all its frailty, even his human flesh in one sense, could have become a platform rightly for his self-display. If Jesus did not humble himself, even his incarnation could have been a platform for his self-display of glory. Satan knew that very well, didn't he? The temptation in the wilderness. If you are the son of God, do these spectacular things so that the angels may come and attend you. That was a real temptation for the Lord Jesus, but Jesus, as Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, learned obedience through what he suffered. He was growing in that servanthood until that very point came when he 
ended the incredible career of self-abasement by willingly laying down his life, not just any death, but even death under God's holy judgment and wrath, even the cursed death on a tree. That's the extent, brothers and sisters, to which the eternal Son of God, having emptied himself of visible outward glory, then humbled himself, first in birth, and then by being obedient all the way to death, giving up his life as a ransom for many not to be served but to serve, that's the extent to which Jesus abased himself. And the question is, to serve who? What is Jesus doing all this for? Who does he have in mind as Jesus became a servant? The gospel amazingly proclaims that it is to serve you, to serve sinners like us, serve the interests of your salvation. That's what Jesus has done. And when that dawns upon you, when you begin to see the mind that controlled this servant of the Lord, the Lord who is the Lord of glory, who humbled himself, then in union with him, God's people begin to put on humility. Then in union with him, when this mind dawns upon you, what Jesus has done for you truly grips you, soul and heart, as the same spirit who anointed and equipped the Lord Jesus, the same spirit, the spirit of the risen Christ now dwelling in you, works that example of a humble mind among you. That's what begins to produce humility, the same kind of mindset among God's people. And that's how all of us grow more and more in humility. The key is that we become more and more acquainted with our suffering servant who made himself nothing. The key to humility in the church of Christ is to be acquainted with the glory of the suffering servant who came into the world and hung on the cursed tree to serve the interests of his people. And surely there is even a purposeful echo that you detect of uh, Genesis 3 here. Adam first sin into sin, the first fall into sin. Uh, there's the echo, I think, deliberately in this passage to highlight the sheer surpassing greater work of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam, made in the image of God, fell into the temptation of Satan that came and insinuated to him, God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And rather than being willing to humble himself at the tree and being obedient, Adam grasped for equality with God, as it were. But by contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself at death, even the death of the tree. The most humiliating death, they say, and known to the Roman Empire in the first century, such that it is recorded in history that the Roman statesman Cicero even said of the cross, the very name of the cross should not even mentioned, and the blessed God humbled himself and emptied himself of his glory to lay down his life upon the cursed tree. Jesus became a curse for us so that the blessing promised might become ours. And that tasting of that blessing in salvation will make us more and more humble. When people come to receive the blessing promise to all the sons of Abraham, that's what will go on to make God's people humble 
and humble. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God that is distinct from the rest of this world. The kingdom of God where God says the greatest among you must be servants and must be humble. The greatest among you must be servants. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Boston has this stirring uh, section uh, speaking of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, to redeem lost man, he did hang upon a tree and he did drink the cup of wrath as the bitter fruits of sin and was buried in a garden. The first Adam ate of the forbidden tree and Christ the second Adam hung on the cursed tree. Adam's preposterous love to his wife, Eve, made him sin. But Christ's love to his spouse made him suffer. Our first parents pleased their sensual appetite with a taste of the pleasant fruit of the forbidden tree. And therefore Christ got vinegar mixed with gall to drink upon the cross tree. By eating the forbidden tree, death came upon all men to condemnation. But by eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Christ, life was brought to the soul. O oh, then, sinners, flee unto the Lord Jesus, who has restored that which is the first Adam took away, and yet shall be reinstated in all that happiness and favor with God, which he forfeited by eating the forbidden tree. Well, that's what Jesus has done. Just one sampling of the depth of meditations on the glory of the suffering servant, what he has done for you in his self-humbling and self-abasement, and Paul says, let this mind be among yourselves. Or having considered then the mindset of the Lord Jesus in his self-abasement, having considered the command given to the church, exhortation to have this mind among you, then the final question then is how exactly do we cultivate this mind? How do we, as mentioned before, how do we become more and more acquainted with the glories of our Savior. And the spiritual key to that kind of transformation in the New Covenant is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says, We all, we believers all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, a key to having this mind then is that you look to the Lord Jesus, that you have a spiritual sight of him, to behold his glory, to gaze at the cross of Christ, to ponder the glory of Christ and him crucified. It is by beholding him, Paul says, that we too are being transformed into his likeness. Well, that's what gospel preaching does in the church of Christ. As Christ is set forth, as God's people begin to have a spiritual eyesight towards the Lord, uh, we become like the God whom we bow before. We are being transformed into the likeness of his image by the ministry of his Holy Spirit. Well, what a great need we have, and what a comfort also we have that God is the one who is working in us that which he also displays before us and that which he proclaims to us in the gospel. So let us put on then humility, this humility which Jesus displayed supremely. Humility begins in the mind. It begins with a mindset. It begins with a lowliness of mind, mind of Christ, considering others and 
the mindset that will go on to set you free from self-absorption and make you instead taken up with Jesus Christ. This humility in your life then will continue in service. Just as Jesus took actions to serve, when we put on humility, humility will take action to serve. And just as Jesus, the uh, in his state of humiliation, was eventually exalted on high in the kingdom of God. Humility not only begins in the mind and continues in the service, but humility in the kingdom of God will always end in exaltation. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, the Lord Jesus said, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's the promise given to the church. Have this mind among you. Let humility continue in service with the assurance that in the kingdom of God, humility always ends in exaltation. We praise God, and maybe it be so in each of our lives. Let's pray together.